Well, good morning once again. It is a joy to be back with you and ministering the Word of God again. And I want to just say that I am, uh, I view it as the privilege of privileges to be here in this capacity with you. Um, if you have at all been blessed uh, by the last few times we've have been together, certainly I've been blessed uh, far more. And uh, I'm excited to see what God will do in the future here uh, with us, but uh, for the next uh, chunk of time or so, we're just kind of seeing how this uh, works out, and, and it's, it's my joy to be here with you. Now today, I, uh, I approach this topic with a little bit of fear and trepidation, because uh, if I were to entitle this message, it would be uh, Minister of Justice, Minister of Grace. It's a strange, strange dual calling that I have that God has placed upon me to not only be trained for the Christian ministry, but to be employed in a law enforcement profession and all of the many elements that are associated with that. And uh, what causes me fear and trembling is that I dread talking about myself. It is not something I enjoy. Uh, it's something I find actually very difficult to do. I would much rather talk about Christ. I would much rather talk about the scriptures. However, uh, I'm, a, I'm a testament to the grace of Christ. And that's what I want to focus on today uh, because we all have a story to tell. And it's a story of grace. And you'll see that theme kind of throughout um, today's message here. But uh, I want to... I want to share with you how these two callings kind of uh, ended up getting blended together here. And to, to frame this, uh, I guess, talk or, or discussion in our minds, I'd, I'd like you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If, uh, if I have time, I'm going to work through this uh, a little bit here. But for now, I just want you to read it be because the text that the Apostle Paul has before us is actually the Apostle's own testimony. It's his own story of his conversion and uh, he begins in verse 12 with a thanksgiving he says i i thank christ jesus our lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful putting me into service even though i was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor yet i was shown mercy because i acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy, in order that in me, the foremost, Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that would be enough just to stop the service right there with this praise song of the Apostle Paul recounting his story of being a recipient of grace. And we could certainly do that, and I hope to, to even get back to that. But this morning I want to just uh, explain a little bit to you the story of my life and the grace of Christ in it because of the very reason that we will probably be spending a little more time together as the weeks come. 
And I don't want to just be that guy who comes in and kind of airdropped into the congregation and tells you all how to live your life and then heads off back again. And I want you to have a little bit of a context about what drives me and what has prepared me for these uh, moments of service that, uh, that I find uh, myself being placed in uh, by God's hand. And so uh, it is true that I have been uh, trained for the Christian ministry, and it is also true that I have spent the last uh, 20 plus years uh, in law enforcement. And people ask me frequently, how did that ever happen? How, how did you become a pastor and a cop or a cop and a pastor or what are you? And, and you might be surprised that the, the two callings are not um, that far apart. Both callings have to do with justice. Both callings have to do with mercy. In fact, uh, anymore I've been saying that the criminal justice system can often be better described as the criminal mercy si uh, system because there's so much uh, grace offered and sometimes the aspect of law uh, is, it takes the back seat in some cases to, to compassion and mercy. And God is, God is in charge of all of that. We, we don't fret, and he is, he is working in his ways. But um, both, uh, both have those elements, and both callings, in a sense, cause you to know more about people than you want to know. Law enforcement has caused me to know things about human nature. And the ministry has caused me to, to know certain things about the human nature. And the things which are known cannot be unknown. <laughs> and it's a reality of both of those that, that we live with. But God somehow, by his grace, blended those both in me. And hopefully you can be the recipient this morning of, of some of that benefit. I'm just going to tell you my story, kind of my background, how I came to Christ, and then what uh, the Lord is doing in my life right now so that you'll, you'll have a little bit of a framework uh, as we continue in this uh, relationship. I was born in Santa Barbara, California, a little hospital called Cottage Hospital. And uh, my mother and father lived there with uh, me in Santa Barbara for the first two years of my life. We then relocated. We uh, came into a very significant amount of uh, land, uh, beautiful land in the high Rocky Mountains of Montana. We lived up there by Kalispell and Eureka. We, uh, we lived off the land. and. Uh, hunt and hunting and fishing, and I remember walking and skating on the ice and playing in the snow. I remember bears coming up to our house and uh, elk walking down our creek, and it was a beautiful, beautiful place. I have fond memories of the early days of Montana. Well, my father, being a Native American uh, of the Apache of an Apache tribe, became very fascinated with the American Indian movement. And he decided that he wanted to move the family to, Rep or actually to uh, Kyle, South Dakota, where, uh, where we began to kind of experience the Native American ways. And uh, I, I mean, I, I remember it all vividly. Um, I got to sit on Chief Fool's Crow's lap. He was the chief of the Pine, of the uh, uh, Sioux, Sioux tribe at the time. And um, I had, I ate the government cheese and the, uh, commodity peanut butter and um, very familiar with dirt floors and flies and, and it, it was just it was that reservation life which is a real life for people and actually it has improved significantly from the, the 70s when when I was there but uh, that was kind of our beginning area well to make a long story short um, my father ended up abandoning the family 
And so we grew up, myself and three other siblings, two boys, two girls, uh, without a dad. And I don't say that was all bad because we still had a mom and she did her finest to make semblance of the family that was left and, and we ended up uh, relocating to Rapid City where I have been ever since. Um, mom enrolled us in the public school system, enrolled herself in uh, National American University where she completed a computer degree and really taught us the importance of education, worked us through. And there was a sense that even though we didn't have a father, that God, as the scripture says, is a father to the fatherless, is he not? And we experienced that firsthand, uh, growing up without a dad, but understanding that we, we have a father in heaven. And that was a very important uh, priority for mom. She would make sure that we were part of local churches growing up, and we were part of several. I remember some of the earliest times um, we were part of one church that was meeting in a school. And this, uh, this church struck me for many reasons. This church really had a uh, heart for outreach and, and benefiting others. And there was, uh, there was a stage that, I don't know, it seemed like once a month, if not every Sunday, there would be groceries piled up on the stage. And anybody in need could grab one of these bags of groceries. And I always looked forward to Sunday and the groceries that were there because we couldn't afford all the fancy food and all of that. And, and, but people would stuff those bags full of like Diggum Smacks and Fruit Loops and all of that, you know, all of those cereals we wish we could have had. And now it's actually the opposite. You know, those, those are actually the cheap cereals and the good cereals, the healthy ones, they cost money now. You know, it used to be those cost money, but it's completely changed. And, but mom would make sure that we'd be in church. And I remember those, um, I remember those young, I remember Awana and I remember the, the songs, uh, I'm in the Lord's army, and Father Abraham had many sons, and, and all of those, uh, those fun things, I will make you fishers of men. And all of that was laying a foundation for me that I didn't even realize at the time. And then I would go to big people church, and I would hear songs like, Come Thou Almighty King. Uh, Come Thou Incarnate Word, gird on thy mighty sword. And I would hear things like this as a child growing up, and I, I would see pictures of, of Christ in my mind and coming from heaven in white robes with this beastly sword on his thigh. I didn't, I just, just the pictures that were, were in my mind. We would sing the doxology, thank you very much, not planned today. But that doxology was, was drilled into my mind. The importance of Christian music, right? The importance of the hymns as well, which are so rich in theology, and we're grateful for that, what God has given the church. But, but I, I learned that, but something happened as I became a teenager, entered into junior high, high school. I began hanging around friends that were not good for me, that were not a good influence. And you know, young people, the, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals, and it does. And the Bible also says, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And I was a companion of fools, and I suffered for it. I remember one night I went to a party, and I was drinking, and there was lots of drinking going on, and I got seriously assaulted to where I probably had a fractured orbital because I was hanging out with the wrong people. And God was trying to send me messages, but you know what? I never, and I always believed in God, right? I had that foundation. But I never let God 
get in the way of my good time. And I had faith, but my sin nature, folks, was growing at a pace that was faster than my faith was growing. And that can happen even in a Christian home. And so um, I finished high school, very much involved in the party scene, and I wanted more. And I told mom on my 18th birthday, I said, I'm, I'm leaving home and I'm going to San Diego. I had a friend who had a friend who had a friend in San Diego, one of those things in an apartment. And San Diego, beaches, babes, cars, shopping malls, I mean, you name it, Ferraris, everything. And that what was, that's what my eye was chasing. And, you know, it was a hedonist dream is what it was in San Diego. And so um, mom thinks I'm going off the face of the earth. And God had a different plan. And uh, as I landed there in San Diego, I had to fund this lifestyle, right? I mean, it costs money to live that way. And so I got a job at a credit union. I was on the teller line. And it wasn't just any credit union. It was a very special credit union. Because on my left was a fellow teller named Mickey Grimes. And Mickey attended a Wesleyan church. And you know what? To this day, you will never get me to say anything bad about the Wesleyans. Because Mickey was tremendously instrumental in calling me to faith. I'll, I'll share more about that. On my right was Betty Lee. Betty Lee was from a Baptist church. And Betty Lee would press me with things as well. And so Mickey would ask me things like, uh, have you ever heard of John Wesley? No. Well, have you ever heard of John Maxwell? He's our pastor. No. And then Betty Lee would say, well, have you ever heard of John Calvin? No. Well, how about John Piper? John MacArthur? No. And it made me start thinking, maybe I better get to know some guys named John. <laughs> and the fact is, is that Mickey began inviting me to church, and I came. And I didn't really see it as something hugely important other than to maybe meet people. Uh, I was part of a very large college group at uh, Skyline Wesleyan Church and in Lemon Grove. And soon Mickey began asking me to come to home group. He said, I, I'd like you to come to home group. It's a, you'll see a little different, different element of church this way. And I was like, okay, you know, I grew up with this stuff. I don't really need more than Sunday, if that even, but yeah, I'll, I'll come to home group. So I came to home group, and I was struck immediately with the fact that here were people my age, really excited about things. And one of the most fascinating things for me was that um, I, I was just astonished by the fact that there were, I have to admit this, um, pretty girls there. Because... I really didn't think Christianity and pretty girls could fit. Um, I mean, I think that original church was Mennonite in background, and so I, I was used to kind of the, maybe the bonnets or the hair buns or the blouses, and, and instead I saw intelligent and attractive and, you know, conversational people my age, and, and I liked that. And I started coming more and more, probably for those reasons. And it was interesting because I really started to get into 
this little fellowship group, and I thought things were going fine. And one night after the, the meeting, Mickey pulls me aside in the parking lot. Everybody's going away, and he says, Eli, come here. I got I to gotta ask you a question here. And I said, yeah, Mickey, what's going on? And he said, uh, I need to just ask you, are you a Christian? And my first thought was, of course, I grew up in the church. I've sang the kids' songs. I, you know, been to the Sunday schools and all of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he said, uh, okay, because um, you don't act like it. And I thought, oh, wow, that was a killer to hear that. Because I thought I was going along just fine, playing the game, walking the walk. And really what I was doing is I was talking the talk, not walking the walk. And Mickey said, I, I think you need to think about that. And it was like a javelin that just pierced my heart. And that night... I went home. He, he must have seen something. I still have, I have reached out to him recently. I have not gotten back together with him. We've, our paths have gone different ways. But I have longed to talk to him and say, what did you see that night that would cause you to ask that question? Because folks, this is what I'm getting at here. A lot of us say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not Bible trained. But you know what? He began to spark in me a serious concern about my faith by asking a simple question. Are you a Christian? And then having enough courage to say, because you don't act like one. That's all it took. And that, that sent me plunging into, I guess, what would be a depression. I mean, I was having a good time in San Diego. And now I'm really feeling bleak and, and meaningless. And what am I doing here? Well, I had been planning a party that week, and I had a flyer that I was passing around at work because I like big parties. And I'm passing this thing around at work, and, I'm, and then I'm faced with the choice, do I give one to Mickey, do I not? Oh, I, I need to, because that'd be rude, but I really don't want him to come, please don't come. But here, and he looks at it, and he, said, he kind of feigns a little bit of interest, and, and I was pretty sure he wasn't gonna come. And I end up having this party, and the alcohol comes in, and the people, the friends come in, and then the strangers come in, and I'm like, well, who are you? And, oh, well, we heard about the party, you know, and, and it's just starting to get a little out of control, and I'm starting to get concerned, and it's probably about two in the morning, and I see people flopped out on my couch. I don't even know who they are, and I'm hosting this thing, and I just, ha I just asked myself, I said, Eli, what are you doing? What are you doing? And worse, where are you going? And I was 19 years old, heading nowhere fast, ha having just a host place for these drunks to come and flop out. And I remember I would play really loud music. And that night, I had the music up so loud. And I, I slumped down between two large speakers. They're about the size of that, that box there. And I, I slithered down on the wall, and I just looked, and I, I just said, where am I? Where am I? And for the first time, I felt like I was lost. See, I had never felt lost before, but for the first time now, I felt lost. 
And for the first time, while I initially didn't want Mickey to come, I kind of wanted him there now because he was the only guy that could help me make sense of some of this, or at least seemingly. And in my, in my depression, or whatever you would call it, it felt like my soul was dying. And I said, I gotta just make it to Sunday. Kicked everybody out. Saturday was a rough day, I remember. Same loneliness, just darkness. And so, you know, it's another lesson here. If you see somebody going through that, it's not something we, oh, no, 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 you, feel, you should feel good, try to feel better. I needed that. I needed that day in the desert, as it were, the next day. And I said, I just got to make it to Sunday. And I was kind of hoping Mickey would call, but he didn't call. And so I go to church on Sunday, and I start in, and people are starting to look different to me. And I don't know what it is, but something's different about this day. The music sounded different. And one of the first songs that was sung was actually the offertory that I had asked to be played here, The Lord Reigns. The Lord Reigns. Let the earth rejoice. And I'm like, I'm not rejoicing here, but I'm seeing these young people raising their hands to the Lord and rejoicing in faith. And I don't have this. And for the first time, I thought I was on board with them. But for the first time, I realized I'm not on board. I'm not, I'm not part of this. I'm not with them. Uh, the Lord reigns. Um, it says righteousness and truth are the foundations of your throne. And I looked at my life and I said, my life is not righteous. And my life is not truthful or just or upright. And I was convicted. That was the first time. I felt guilt before. I felt remorse over stuff. But this was the first time that I actually was feeling guilt in my heart. I had not been alive to this prior to that. In your presence, Lord, the mountains melt like wax. And I'm just seeing this. And in your presence, Lord, I bow before your throne. And these words of a worship song, can you believe it? A worship song is what's getting a hold of my spirit here. And the mountains of sin in my heart were beginning to melt away like wax. It was the strangest experience I have ever experienced. I lift my hands to worship you, for you are the Lord, most high above the earth. In other words, that's your reason. We lift our hands to worship, for you are the Lord. And uh, I realized my heart was dark, and I was not giving him the due worship from my life. Later, I would come across Romans 1.21, which says, For even though they knew God, did you catch that? I always believed in God. I never was an atheist. I've never, ever had a moment questioning whether God exists from my childhood till now. But even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That's all he wants. And they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And that was the dead path I was on. Uh, I, it was just all this futility in my life, even at age 19. And I realized I needed to change. So the song convicted me. But it was the sermon to follow that gave me life. The sermon was a salvation message that day. And Tim Elmore, the pastor of the college group at that time, concludes the sermon with an altar call. I'm not a big fan of altar calls. 
I think sometimes they can be confusing in our day. I think sometimes people can trust in the fact that they have come up or they've signed a card or raised a hand or threw a stick in the fire at camp or whatever is the, is the tangible expression there. But he called for those who are hungry. He called for those who are thirsty. He called for those who have no hope to be given hope. Do you want this? Then come. Are you hungry? Then come. Are you thirsty? Then come. And you know what? I did not hesitate a second. I jumped out of my seat and I was first to the altar. And Mickey, I, his, his head was spinning. He's like, where'd that guy go? Because Mickey, I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He's probably thinking, you know, am I blowing it with this guy? Are we never going to see him again? Um, thought he was a Christian, said he was a Christian. But I had this confrontational question with him. And here I go up to an altar call to receive Jesus Christ. And all my friends from home group, you know, I'm a blubbering mess. I mean, for the first time, I'm weeping over my sin. And all my friends are gathering around me like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm just like, I think so. And, and I, it, I felt like I was in the clouds. I felt like I didn't weigh a thing. And I was just floating. And I believe on that morning I was born again. I was born of the Spirit, born of, of life, born of God. And uh, this resulted in an immediate uh, thirst for the Word of God. Um, I left those two books there. I wonder, I began, my, uh, my sisters gave me a, uh, a Bible, and I, I, this is it actually. This was given to me in 1990, and I, I do treasure it, but I began tearing this thing up. And um, I don't know if you guys can see this or not, but this, this was a 19-year-old's attempt at Bible study. Um, I was underlining words and drawing arrows, and, oh, this fits with that, and that makes sense. And it, it was just, the Bible was speaking to me like it had never before. If you don't write in your Bibles, you should start, by the way, because it's, it's a good habit. I came across Josh McDowell. I went to one of his seminars. They said, you got to hear this guy. And, oh, he did not tell me what I wanted to hear, but I believed it. I remember he was, he was talking about the sin of fornication and how that's a sin against your body. And he would pound the pulpit and he said, are you crazy? This is a sin against your body. And to a group of college students, I mean, talk about a wake-up call. And uh, so I just began studying, and, and, and then I remember getting this little pamphlet in the mail. I don't know who sent it to me, but it was from the Master's Seminary. And it said, we train men as if lives depended on it. And it, it was these men in, in their suits, and they had their Bibles, and they looked very sophisticated and mature. And I was like, I'd like to go there. But then it said, you have to have a bachelor's degree, so you can't. And I was like, OK, that's kind of stuffy. But so I was like, well, how do I get a bachelor's degree? And so. Mom knew a friend who suggested Prairie Bible College in Canada. I spent a year there trying to, trying to fast forward a little bit to, to get to the meat of this, but ended up transferring from Prairie Bible College to the Master's College, which I didn't know about. And the college is a Bible college, same family there of, uh, of institution. And I ended up being able to attend there, had to pinch myself with all of the amazing things, amazing professors and books. And uh, Betty Lee, by the way, didn't go away. She kept investing in my life. Uh, Mickey was critical for the conversion. Betty Lee was critical for the growth. 
Betty Lee gave me all kinds of books, solid theology, and I was just eating it up. Her husband was very interested in this and interested in me, and they invested. Don't be afraid to ever give a book away. Don't be afraid to invest in people that you may not know how it may turn out. <laughs> in fact, uh, when I graduated college, I got a call from Betty Lee, and she says, I'm just, I'm just calling because uh, I want to know something. Are you still in the faith? <laughs> I said, yeah, Betty, I'm in the faith. I'm actually going into the ministry. And uh, so she, she checked up on me, and we still, we still talk. Uh, we still write. But um, so this intense time of growth and study, I finished at the master's college. I don't know what I'm going to do next. My professor in the Bible department says, well, have you considered the master's seminary? And I said, no, it's too much money. It's, you know. And out of the blue, I was awarded the president's scholarship, which paid for the first year of seminary. I mean, obviously, God's will uh, to, to pursue that. And so for the next couple of years, I would push a mower to pay the rest of the bills. Don't be afraid of hard work, guys. Young people, don't be afraid to get a little sweaty, a little dirty, to invest in something that really counts. It was uh, around that time that I got married, my wonderful wife, Sarah. And you know what? I was looking for pretty girls, I admit. That's what drew me into the church. But what I didn't know is that I would have a very pretty girl <laughs> as a result. On, and not in California. Didn't marry a California girl, married a South Dakota girl. But yeah. <laughs> but um, she was able to attend seminary with me. They allowed spouses to come to the classes. So she was able to pick whatever class she was interested in. And we attended some marriage counseling classes. And it was a real time of enrichment for us. We ended up uh, becoming pregnant with our first uh, child, first of three, and we ended up moving back to Rapid City. But that last year of seminary was very profound for me because at Grace Church, it was a very large sanctuary, and they would host the funerals of the LAPD fallen officers. And I'd never seen one of those before. And I would sneak out on breaks and sneak into the back, and I'd look into the sanctuary and see the sea of blue the Grace Church can hold about 5,000 people, and, I, and they were all in blue uniform. Now remember, the motto of our seminary was, we train men as if lives depended on it, and we do. That's, that, that was the motto. And um, here, these men in the Los Angeles Police Department were falling and giving their lives to it and being caught. The families were being caught by Grace Church, serving them in that way. And I remember feeling this little itch in my mind saying, we train men as if lives depend on it. They're giving their lives. I soon went home, and my wife and I were out on the deck. And I said, honey, I think I'm going to become a police officer. And she about <laughs> fell off the deck because <laughs> she thought she was going to marry a pastor. <laughs> and I said, I'm feeling drawn into this. At the time, LAPD was having a shooting every three days, officer-involved shooting. Most of those were the officers shooting, uh, but some of them were the officers being shot at. And the, the, um, the strange reality is that didn't stop me. I remember one shooting on, that happened on Christmas Eve. An officer at LAPD was getting out of his car to respond to a robbery in progress of a convenience store. He is not one foot out the car. The suspect comes out, fires his weapon at the officer, 
killing him instantly. And you want to know what his name was? Mario Navidad, which means Christmas. How'd you like to do that on Christmas Eve? How'd you like to have that happen? And yet, it didn't, it didn't scare me. It didn't keep me away. We ended up moving back home, and I ended up getting hired with the Rapid City Police Department because it was just seemingly a dream that didn't die. And so that began kind of the ministry of grace manifesting itself in the ministry of justice. You know, Romans 9 speaks of law enforcement and government officials as, as servants, as ministers, and it calls them ministers of justice. But uh, it also refers to them as ministers of grace, Paul says. We are ministers of the new covenant, covenant of grace. And the law came through Moses, the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so here is it. I just can't choose. I just can't pick. And so I'm doing both. And I become part of the chaplain. I become the chaplain director at the police department. And I begin to see people coming to faith in Christ because the chaplains will get the problems. They'll carry the dirt. They're not afraid to get their hands dirty with people's lives. And I could tell you story after story of people who, I mean, I won't get into it. There's this one person that came to faith on the phone with me. I'm in there on a Saturday. I'm not even supposed to be there. He's calling, and I'm like, can't somebody pick up the phone on a Saturday? So I pick up the phone, and I'm like, yeah and it's him, long story short, I can't get into the details, at the end of the phone conversation, he becomes a Christian. And, and there's just story after story like that when you, when you are in that role and you're willing to maybe carry a dual role. Last week we talked about callings, remember? And what are you supposed to do? What is your work of God? It really doesn't have to require a minister's robe. It requires you to engage your calling but perhaps your dual calling also, that we are citizens not only of this city or this county or state, we are citizens of heaven. And so I could tell you much about that, but this has been a wonderful ride. And now after 20 plus years, I feel like it may be time to open the chapter again of the Minister of Grace. And so I just thank you this morning that you have allowed this opportunity, this rich opportunity. I will. I will tell you I look forward to it, and if you can agree to get yourself out of bed in the morning uh, and come and hear me, I will agree to provide for you meat to chew on, solid food for the, for the mature who have, uh, through practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil, evil Hebrews. And so, um, really, what this comes back to is this. It's all grace. I told you I don't like talking about myself. You guys have been hanging in there well today. Let me just point you to our passage really quick here because the apostle and I have this one thing in common. And that is, first of all, the source of grace. Look at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who's, that's who's doing it. Jesus has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. He's the source of this. I didn't do all this stuff on my own. I'm just showing up for the party, and look where God takes me. And uh, look at verse 13, not only the source, but the need of God's grace, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and un in unbelief. I was so ignorant. I thought I was fine. I thought I was doing well. And Paul thought he was doing fine. Remember, 
the persecutor of Christians, remember Stephen, and he approves of that stoning of a man made in the image of God. And he's on his way to Damascus, sitting on his high horse with arrest warrants in hand for Christians. And God knocks him down. And you have to go down. You have to go low before you can go up. Because if you're so prideful, you're never going to receive grace. But here he recognizes the need. And then look at verse 14, the measure of God's grace. I'll probably have to preach this one again, but I'm just giving you the outline today. And by the way, all that was just an introduction. This is the sermon. Verse 14 is uh, the measure of God's grace. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Does God just give you a little bit of grace? Is he stingy? Does he just kind of say, here you go, go make do with that? Oh, no. He gives you abundant grace. And not just abundant grace, more than abundant grace, with faith and love as cherries on top, which are found in Christ. Again, you'll see Christ, Christ, Christ. Look at verse 15, the object of grace. Who gets this grace? It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost of all. And if you resonate at all with the Apostle Paul, you will say that he's underscoring himself as the foremost of sinners because he wants us to underscore ourselves as that as well. We all hold the same rank in the kingdom of darkness until we're transferred to the kingdom of light. We're all number one sinner. Our sins look differently, but they all are putting us in first place the object is sinners the bullseye is I you what's the purpose verse 16 a demonstration yet for this reason I found mercy in order that in me the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life he is trying to display something about his character here. An attribute of God is called patience. We've already seen grace. We've already seen mercy. We've already seen faith. We've seen love. Those are all attributes of God. Now we see patience. He wants us to see this. And why is this? What's the result of all of this when it finally hits home and, and lightens a, a man up, lightens a woman up? What, what happens? Look at verse 17. What happens is praise. What happens is thanksgiving. What happens is worship. You see, I was trying to worship. I was trying to be part of all of this, but I wasn't changed. I wasn't transformed. But once I was transformed, then, look, verse 17, now to the king. I love this. Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. See, I had lots of gods. But there is only one God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is what I was missing in my life. And then I got it. And how, how I bless the Lord today for getting this. It wasn't because I was smart enough. It wasn't because I worked hard for it. I wasn't working at all. I was going the other direction. I was working against it. But God reached down in grace and pulled me out despite my past. And today, you might be in that same situation. You may have a past that you're dealing with. You may think, I'm not worthy of grace. And you know what? You're right. None of us are worthy of grace. But if we can understand our low position, and he wants us low so that he can lift us high by grace. I sometimes think of 1 Corinthians 9. It's a painful yet very important verse 
1 Corinthians 6, rather, verse 9. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And that was me. I wasn't heading for inheritance. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's worth looking at that verse later today and maybe circling, if nothing else, with your eyes, which, which one were you? Because in verse 10 it says, and such were some of you. I can look at that verse and I can circle four of those things. I wonder how many you can honestly circle. And I bet you if you pushed me, I could get a few more than four. And Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You are no more. You are no more. You are a new creation as we heard this morning. Well, this is my story, and this is my song, the song of grace, and I hope that you can sing that song as well. I want to just close with five short little bullet points to give you a little bit of hope and encouragement, because this is very important what we're talking about when we talk about the grace of God. Now we praise, right? We understand verse 17. Now we can sing to the immortal, all-wise God for why, I can't say, but he did it. He grabbed us. I got some lessons here that I've learned from my own Christian story. Number one, never underestimate the power of parental influence, right? And I just need to say, thank you, Mom. She probably didn't know the full impact of what was happening, but the Awana and the children's school and all of the Sunday schools and the church, they're laying a platform, Mom and Dad. And you may not see the result yet. You may not see it for years, but you're laying a platform, are you not? And it was that platform that Mickey needed to appeal to. He didn't know it, but he was saying, are you a Christian? Yes, you don't act like it. And I knew enough to say that I'm in trouble. If what he says is true, I'm in trouble. So mom, dad, don't, don't give up on that. You never know. Secondly, never assume that a person running away from God, which is what I was doing, will not run directly into God. Right? You have, to, you have to have faith, mom and dad. You, you have to have faith that, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, he or she might be running right into the hands of God or right between Mickey and Betty Lee. And who would have guessed, who would have ever guessed that that would be where I was heading? Thirdly, never underestimate the impact of a simple Christian presence being present, being next to somebody. I told you, I felt uncomfortable about gi giving that invite to Mickey. Why? Because I knew he was a Christian. I knew what he stood for. And I knew that the party life, living it up, was inconsistent. And just the Christian presence is sometimes enough to start that process of conviction. Fourth, never underestimate the power of the word of God, even in song even in song. This is why we must be diligent to invest in our worship. Our worship is not something where we just kind of whip it out, throw it together, hopefully it all works out. Investing in worship that we are putting up the lyrical truths of God. And what did it for me? It was the lyrical truth of God. 
righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. That's what worked for me. And there's lots of other lyrics out there. And God has blessed his church through the generations. And we should rejoice in all of the great Christian music that Christ has given his church. And fifthly, and I'll close with this, never underestimate the impact of a simple Christian testimony. Just a testimony. Just a story. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible scholar. I can't do that stuff. You don't have to. Just tell your story. Do you have grace? Do you own grace? Do you possess it? Then just tell the story how it happened. You heard what I did today. It's my life before Christ, my life meeting Christ, and what is Christ doing now in my life as I walk with him? Before, middle, and end, and that's all you need. Just tell your story. Uh, you, you, are, you are a testament of God's grace. I'm going to just close with one uh, last little reading that is dear to me about this point here, not underestimating the simple Christian testimony. And I can base this in Scripture. Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Isn't that great? So just say it. Just say it. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Oh, I, I remember that night. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. He led them also by a straight way to go to the inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. I hope that's your story. It's really all of our story. None of us are special in that regard, but all of us are very special in that regard. I pray that that's true of you. I pray that you would bask in the grace the free grace of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just come as a congregation of redeemed people. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for reaching down and saving us and intervening in our lives, the lost and the hungry and the debilitated and those of us that didn't even know we were all that. Lord, may we never grow weary of hearing about the grace of God and singing about the grace of God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that it gives us. And thank you, Lord, personally, for giving me eternal life. May I bless you. May we all stand up in song and praise of you for your glorious work in all of our lives. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.